the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul's ministry team continues steadily on their way to Jerusalem, encouraging different groups of believers all along the way. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 21, verse 1. The title of the message is, Love One Another. Acts chapter 21. We have much ground to cover. Acts 21. As we have been journeying through the book of Acts, remember the theme of Acts is that Jesus is still working. And it's true today. He is still working. And as we are here in chapter 21, we are seeing that Paul is headed to Jerusalem. And in these verses, Paul travels a long way. But everywhere he goes, one thing stands out. The love that all the Christians, all the believers there have for him. And you know, is it a wonder that Jesus taught us that the world would recognize that we belong to him by the love that we have for each other? Listen, we live in interesting times. It means we need to love one another more. It means we need to examine ourselves more. See, the danger that we face is we look out there at the government and the world and say, you know, we're going to, you know, got to keep our eyes on you guys because we know what's coming next. The reality is this is a time to look inward, to say, Lord, how can I shine brighter? Lord, what can you want to do in my heart? What do you want to change in me? How can I be more like you so that I can impact the culture around me that is increasingly different than you? How can I shine? How can I be on that hill that you've set me on to shine, let my light so shine bright before men even more than it has before? Jesus said the world would recognize we belong to him by the love that we have one for another. And so it it should not surprise us that we see this amazing love. You know, Paul said that the three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. You know, as we see the great love the early church had for one another, may it be a challenge to us to embrace one another with that same kind of love. So Acts chapter 21, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, remember where we left off in chapter 20 is he had had that pastor's gathering, that elders gathering there on the beach at Miletus, a one-day pastor's conference with Paul. And and at the end of it, it says they they wept and they fell on his neck and they kissed and they just they didn't want to see him go because they were sad because he said, I, I don't think I'm ever going to see you again because Paul thought he was going to Jerusalem to die. So it says it came to pass after we were gotten from them. Literally, it means after having dragged ourselves away from them, suggesting a lingering. You ever been that way with other believers? You know, you say, we got to go. And then a half hour later, we got to go. And then a half hour later, right? You know, 
because you just don't want to leave. You know, you're tired. You need to go get food or whatever it might be. But the fellowship is so sweet and you don't want to go. And so it was the same way. We don't want to go. We got to go, but we don't want to go. There was such a deep love and affection in the church for one another. Is it a wonder that the church at Ephesus reached so many people? Jesus said, this is how all men would know that we are his disciples. But you know what's interesting about Ephesus? 30 years later, the church at Ephesus had everything else right, but they had left love behind, right? Remember? Jesus personally wrote them a letter and said, listen, I'll read it to you. It's always interesting when you get a letter from Jesus. And he says, these things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor and your endurance and how you cannot bear them, which are evil and how you have tested them, which say they are apostles, but they're not. And you have found them liars and you have borne, you have, you've hung in there. You've had patience. You've endured for my name's sake and you have labored and you have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. You know, our doctrine must be right. We must have servant's heart. We must work hard. We must endure. But we can't forget love. Because here's the reality. Jesus says, if you guys don't learn to love again, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. You know, I'm taking my candlestick and I'm, I'm going where there's love. Jesus will not stay in a church where there's all that important stuff, but there's no love because it is not people will know we're his because we, we say, this is what we believe and we're sticking to it. It's by that supernatural love that only God can give. By our ability to speak the truth in love, to be full of grace and full of truth, to not compromise. We think to love, well, we got to compromise truth. Be nice. We have to not be as truthful. But Jesus came, the Bible says, 100% grace and 100% truth. Now, you and I, we can't do that on our own, can we? I don't know about you, but I, I, my, my meter stops at 100%. It doesn't go beyond 100%. But that's where the Spirit of God comes in the supernatural power to be full of grace and full of truth. That's what God calls us to. And so the church at Ephesus, who had so much love, had left that love. They'd left their first love, and love was not a part of their fellowship anymore. And so Jesus said, repent. So important. So when they had dragged themselves away and they had launched out on the ship again, it says, we came with a straight course unto Kuz, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from there unto Patera. Paul, if you look at a map there, he sticks to the port cities because remember, he's on a beeline to Jerusalem because he wants to get there before Pentecost. There's a clear single-mindedness driving Paul and he would not be deterred by anything. And so finding a ship there at Patera sailing over unto Phoenicia instead of hitting all the port cities on the Mediterranean coast, going straight to Phoenicia, it says that we went aboard and we set forth. And now when we had discovered Cyprus, or when Cyprus, the island, came into view, it says we left it on the left hand. They, they sailed beneath south of Cyprus. And again, because they didn't want to hit the port cities. And it says they sailed into Syria and they landed at the city of Tyre, a, a city that is uh, still there today. For there the ship was to unload her burden, all her cargo. So rather than stop at all the ports along the Mediterranean coastline, they made a straight shot south of Cyprus for the city of Tyre. And in verse four, it says, in finding disciples, we tarried there for seven days. 
The word they're finding means to find by searching. They went looking. Paul didn't plant a church at the city of Tyre, nor had he ever visited it there that we know of in the scriptures. His home church was actually about 200 miles north in Antioch. But when he landed at Tyre and they knew they were going to be there for a week, they went looking for fellow believers until they found some. And so during that week, they found some believers and they enjoyed their company. You know, Paul recognized his need for fellowship. He wanted to bless others and in turn be blessed by them. I want to read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, because we see Paul's heart here towards the fellowship of the believers gathering together as saints. He says, For I long to see you to the Roman Christians, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established or built up in your faith. But then he explains, That is, that I might be comforted together he says, with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul says, I want to pour into you and I want to be poured into by you. I want to receive from you and I want to bless you. You know, that was his heart. His heart, whenever he's with believers, is I know I'm going to be strengthened and I want to strengthen you. Listen, do you recognize your need for fellowship? Do you come to church with a desire to bless others and to be blessed by them? We should all come ready to use our gifts. Not just to come and, 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 and I'm glad we have this time where we could sit and be in the word. It's important. That's why we do it. But then also to come and say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to pour into someone else? Lead me to a conversation where I can encourage somebody or I can challenge somebody or I can comfort somebody, whatever it is that your gifts might be, that you might minister to them as well. Oh, how we need one another. Amen. We need one another. That is what the world will see and realize we're different. Now, into this small group setting, the Spirit of God speaks to Paul on multiple occasions. It says here that who said to Paul, as they were together for these seven days, they said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, the word there said means to keep on saying. They kept on pestering him through the Spirit. The Spirit of God was speaking through them, saying, do not go to Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned previously last week that we'd get into that a little bit. How did this happen? Well, it's just through the gift of prophecy. What is that? That sounds weird, but what is it? The gift of prophecy is simply this, the supernatural impartation to speak into someone's life. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. It explains what this is. And it's not spooky or weird. It's actually quite normal. Paul is said to follow after love and to desire spiritual gifts, but most of all, that you might prophesy. And then in verse 3, he explains what that is. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. To edification, exhortation, and comfort. When the gift of prophecy is in operation, it either strengthens us spiritually, edifies us, it helps us to take a step of obedience, it exhorts us, or it comforts us in our trials. Comfort. Yeah, I hope it's in use every Sunday from this pulpit. <laughs> I hope when you come in, you don't just go, wow, that was a great Bible study. I learned a whole lot of things I didn't know before. If your head is only filled with knowledge and that's it, then we are missing something here. My hope is that if you are feeling a little down spiritually, 
that you're built up. My hope is that if you're kind of wavering in an area of you're thinking about disobeying the Lord or you're feeling the, the pull of temptation or you're not sure how to take a step of faith, that the Lord exhorts you to take that step of obedience. And that if your heart is broken and you're in pain, that the Lord would speak into your life comfort. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've spoken to people after service where they said, you were reading my laundry list today, pastor. I don't know who told you what was going on in my life, but you were speaking directly to my pain or directly to my struggle or directly to the trial I was in. Praise the Lord. Now, I didn't get up here and go, oh, by the way, there's someone out here today with long hair and thus saith the Lord. No, I mean, it, it's going to be something that's very normal. Very rarely does the Spirit of God announce his presence before a proclamation. He does sometimes, but very rarely does the Spirit of God do it. By the way, everyone, I'm here right now, and I want to speak. He doesn't usually do that because his goal is to glorify Jesus. So, so often he operates in a way that you don't even realize it. Most of the time, it's just like here. This isn't a gift of prophecy service at Tyre for a week long. There's no emotional frenzy, just loving believers sharing their heart with Paul under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of prophecy. That's not frightening at all, is it? In fact, we need it. Until the day that we are with him, we need it. We need people to speak into our lives more now than ever. Now, the big question, of course, is, well, why didn't Paul listen to it? If the Spirit was speaking and makes it very clear to not go up. The word literally there means to not keep on going toward Jerusalem. One Greek scholar translates it, don't even set your foot near Jerusalem. And if that's the case, why didn't Paul listen to it? Well, some have explained that the Holy Spirit was only warning Paul what would happen, and the believers there kind of let their emotions get in the way, and they interpreted the Spirit's warning as a prohibition that the Lord wanted Paul to go and was simply preparing him. My problem with that is that the text does not say that. That's reading a lot of information into the text. The text says that through the Spirit, they said, Paul, stay away from Jerusalem. <laughs> now, maybe I'm dense. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense to me that God would come and warn him or prepare him. Paul's already ready to die. That's so clear. I mean, time and time again, he goes, yeah, keep hearing warnings. Don't go to Jerusalem, but I'm ready to die. He doesn't need the encouragement. Does he sound like a man who's worried about persecution? Or that he's wearing rose-colored glasses about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem? The text says the Spirit told him not to go. So why did he? Well, flip back to chapter 20, verse 22. In 2022, Paul says, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, and not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And that can be confusing. You say, well, if the Spirit told him to go, then why is he telling him not to go? The problem is in translation, the word there, bound in Spirit, in the Spirit, is the the is not there. It's bound in my Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit that's bound him to this. It's his own Spirit that's bound him to this. The word bound there means to be compelled by a sense of duty. See, this warning of the Spirit conflicted with his sense of duty because remember, he's bringing all this 
massive team from all the Gentile churches with a financial gift to the poor church of Jerusalem. And he felt bound and compelled by a sense of duty to be there. This is my charge. I'm the one that told him to do it. I need to be there to oversee it. This is my God-appointed task. Now, while I believe it was a stubborn mistake on Paul's part, and it lands him in a ton of trouble that God never intended him to be in, I think the motive was pure. You know, Paul says something very interesting in Romans chapter 11, verse 3. He says, I'm willing to be accursed from Christ if it means my whole nation would be saved. I don't know about you, but I've never loved anybody that much. Where I'd be willing to go to hell so that they could go to heaven? Sorry, buddy, you got to punch your own ticket. (laughs) You know? But he loved his people so much. He felt especially equipped to reach his own people. Paul always believed, I know their mindset. I know their problems. If I can just get in front of them, they'll understand. I'll be able to reason with them. My testimony relates because I've been where they were. I understand all the issues they have with Jesus. And yet, according to Galatians 2 verse 9, you can look it up later if you're taking notes, write it down. God called him very clearly to be the apostle to the Gentiles, not the Jews. Very clear. Paul admits it. This was a self-perceived duty, not a God-given one. And I believe it skews Paul's view of God's repeated command through all these believers. And so he takes it simply as a warning and not as God's command. Well, verse 5, and when they had accomplished those days, back in Acts 21, we departed and we went our way, and they all brought us on our way. Remember, he's only known these folks for a week. They all brought us on our way with wives and children until we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. You know, Paul, sometimes when you read his letters, he comes off a little grumpy and a bit cantankerous. But the truth is the believers loved him deeply. He was a man that they just loved to be around. They knew they were loved by him and they loved him back. In just a week's time together, these believers accompany him all the way down to the beach with their entire family. And there on the beach, what do they do? They just pray. They seek God's face together. You know, I imagine that some of you who are in Peru the last 10 days or so, you formed some pretty neat relationships, didn't you? Some friendships, right, that are going to last a lifetime. You think, how did that happen? Well, there's, there's something special when believers get together. There's something unique that happens when you're with like-minded believers and your hearts are just knit together. God's love does amazing things. I'm sure these folks had jobs. I'm sure they had homes that needed caring for, but they made time for prayer and for fellowship and love was the reason. 1 John 4, 7, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And we should be called the children of God, right? What an amazing thing. And so it says, beloved, in 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another. Let us love one another. That is God's command. You are greatly loved by God. Therefore, love one another. What a great command. Let's do it. You know, you are greatly loved by God. Therefore, love one another. Let's do it. Verse 7, when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to, to Ptolemaeus. And we saluted the brothers there and we abode with them one day. And so they, they get to the city of Ptolemaeus, about 20 miles south of Tyre. 
about 20 miles north of their destination in Caesarea. They hang out with the believers there for one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed, and we came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven. They get there, they departed uh, from Ptolemais, and they come unto Caesarea. And when they get to Caesarea, they stay there for a while, and with good reason. For it mentions, uh, there was a man who lived there, Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, who, might I remind you, are now what? Are they seven now? They're six now. Because that guy who's coming to visit was consenting to Stephen's death. I bet that was an interesting doorbell ring. Ding dong. Philip opens the door, and there he sees in front of him who? Paul the Apostle the man who had persecuted and killed many of his friends, the man who had voted for one of his dear friends, Stephen's death. It makes a point to mention Philip's identification with that group. I think it's an important reason why. Because can you imagine what it was like for Philip to answer the door and to see the man who'd been responsible for his friend Stephen's death? In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, it talks about the havoc that Paul breathed out against the church. Philip had to leave Jerusalem and to leave everything he knew. And he went to Samaria. Seeing this man's face had to bring back all of those painful memories. And yet, the Paul who stood in front of him was now forgiven and a brother. And it mentions that Philip welcomes him into his home. It says, and they abode with him. It's, there's a semicolon there, which means there was an indefinite pause. I don't know if that means they just spent a long time saying hi. I don't know if Philip first thought to himself, wow, I never thought I'd meet this guy at my front door. <clears throat> but at some point, he embraced him and welcomed him into his home. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, 1 Peter 4, 8, <clears throat> Peter says, And above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sin sins. Peter says, above all else, above anything else, everything else, Paul says, love each other deeply. And then he explains that doing so means forgiving one another. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, John writes to me, he says, my little children, I write unto you because you have known the love of the Father. You've known that God has forgiven your sins. The first thing we learn as new believers is that God has forgiven us, that he loves us, right? It's the first thing we come to understand that as a new creation, he has forgiven us and he loves us. And we are to give that love now to one another. The same love that God has given to us, his forgiveness, his mercy and kindness. And so it mentions here that they abode with him. Now, Philip's ministry has changed. He is now Philip the evangelist, not Philip the deacon anymore. And his job role now is ministry is to share with people who have not heard the gospel and to introduce new believers to the basics of the scripture. I imagine much of what Luke shared in the early part of Acts came from conversations with Philip and also from his daughters, for they were uniquely special as well. For it mentions here, the same man, verse 9, had four daughters. Normally, most of us would be like, wow, that's, that's rough. But it mentions here virgins, which did prophesy. Now, not the office of prophet. They were not prophets in the church, but they had the gift that Romans 12 talks about, the gift of prophecy. You have the ability to speak into people's lives and do it according to your faith. 
God simply used them to speak often into other people's lives. Now, what's interesting about these gals, Eusebius, the church historian, mentions that after many of the apostles died, people traveled great distances to visit these four ladies to listen to their accounts of the early church. He mentions that they were great lights during the persecutions, and they spoke much encouragement to the believers. Can you imagine what it'd be like to have four daughters who are sold out to Jesus like that? That's pretty awesome. (laughs) What a family legacy Philip has, and how important it is that we pour into our kids, that they might be what God wants them to be in totality. Well, while they were there, something dramatic happens. Verse 10. And as we tarried there for many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, this guy we've met before in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, when he and a bunch of other prophets came from Judea and they visited Paul's home church in Antioch. And there they had prophesied about, or Agabus stood up and prophesied about a famine that was coming to the area of Judea. And so Paul and the church there, they took up a collection for the church at Jerusalem and they went and they ministered to him. And so, you know, I almost wonder if Paul, you know, Agabus comes up and he's thinking, wow, this must be confirmation from the Lord. I'm supposed to go. Just like last time the church had financial need and we brought the offering and now they've got financial need again and I'm supposed to go. Verse 11, look at what he has to say this time though. When he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, like I said, maybe I'm just dense. But here's the gift of prophecy in operation again. And every time, you look at it in the Old Testament, every single time God called a prophet to do something dramatic like this, It was to get the attention of his wayward people because they were too stubborn to listen to plain speech. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.